0: Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Welcome. Uh, this is our anniversary Sunday. This marks 16 years of Christ Church of Winchester. That's pretty impressive. I'm so glad that you guys are a part of it. Um, we have a lot of things going on today. I want to make you aware of just some housekeeping immediately after service today. We're going to have a potluck who doesn't love a potluck and uh we are gonna roadblock the exit so you have to stay and eat lunch with us okay <laughs> even if you didn't bring anything we really want you to hang out with us we want to get to know you guys better we want you guys to know each other better and uh it's a really big part of what we do at a chur- as uh, at our church we want you to connect with jesus we want you to connect with each other because truth of the matter is the darker that our world gets the more that we need each other amen and so um this week we're launching connection groups uh they on the bulletin board right there in the back there's a list of vanna white also known as jeff caldwell standing right beside it uh check that out see if there's something that fits your schedule and if not come and see me and we might even start another opportunity just to make sure that you can get connected um also today after service we're going to have the potluck we're also going to have a talent showcase a lot of Really talented people here on the walls. You can see we've got some quilts. We've got some artwork uh, displayed. So please just hang out with us today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, also, Miss Lynn Caldwell. Where's Miss Lynn? She, she's, there she is. Uh, she has a list of upcoming events, and uh, they're printed off. If you would like one of those, see her after service. Uh, also, let me say this. A lot of work to put all this together today. Thank you. Everybody that made this possible today, a lot of work. I am very grateful. I know everybody else is grateful. I wish we had air conditioned. We're working on it. Uh, but just I'll try and preach fast, okay? Sometimes life gives you a gut punch, right? Totally unexpected, out of the blue, life just smacks you in the face and you don't know what to do with it. How many of you remember where you were on September 11th, not uh, 2001? I was asleep in my dorm room. Uh, one of my roommates, he yelled, wake up, we're under attack. And I said, shut up and go to class. Leave me alone so I can sleep. Nobody attacks the United States of America, right? At least that's what we thought. Uh, he said, no, seriously. So I, I rolled up out of the bed and I got to the TV just in time to see that second plane hit the towers. It was a gut punch. All of us were reeling, weren't we? We didn't know what was happening. For me, I thought this was like the beginning of the end. I thought this was the beginning of the apocalypse. I was preparing myself to go to war. I was preparing myself for a nuclear holocaust. I was preparing myself for the return of Christ. Sometimes that's what happens in life. Just a plane comes out from nowhere and smashes right into your world and it just rocks everything. And we don't, we don't know how to deal with that. For the next two or three days, we were lost. We were reeling. But America responded in the appropriate way, didn't she? That Sunday, everybody went to church. People were looking for answers. The most attended Sunday in American church history, September 12th, whatever that Sunday was following September 11th. We got on our knees and we prayed. We were looking for answers. Here we are 20 years later and there's still some unanswered questions about exactly what happened on that day. I don't know that we'll ever know the full story, Um, but we've got a lot of clarity in the last 20 years, especially what this event, how it fits in American history and world history. So we know after 20 years, we know grave injustice and tragedy it was heartbreaking still to this day to see the images of the people jumping out of the towers all of the events surrounding it i mean it rocks you still to this day grave tragedy but this is what we know 20 years later not the beginning of the apocalypse 20 years has given us that clarity in mark chapter 9 we find the disciples in a similar situation they're looking for a similar type of clarity. In Mark chapter 8, the disciples' eyes are finally open to the reality of Jesus' identity. Remember Mark or Peter says of Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and finally, they worship Jesus as God. And so they finally got it. And in Peter's mind, Jesus being the Christ, the son of the living God, as a Jewish man, his understanding of that is that Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the redeemer of mankind. He's going to come to the earth as a conquering king, and he's going to just put all of his enemies at his footstool, and he's going to make everything right. And finally, Israel is going to be his proper place in our world. So that was their understanding. And so when, after they make this announcement, after they make this declaration, after they realize the identity of Jesus, what Jesus said next was a gut punch. They're expecting a conquering king. Jesus says, Well, actually, what's going to happen is I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be convicted, and I'm going to be executed. That was a gut punch. This is not what they expected. This is the opposite of what they expected. And you remember, Peter was so offended by what Jesus said. What did Peter do? He rebuked Jesus. This is not supposed to happen. I'm not going to let this happen. And, P- and Jesus said, not only will that happen, not only will they kill me, but if you want to follow me, if you want to be part of my kingdom, then you've got to pick up your cross. You've got to die. To- you've got to be willing to die a painful death for my sake. All of this is a gut punch. They're expecting Jesus to be a king. Jesus is going to be executed. They're expecting, the disciples are expecting, they're going to be elevated. Jesus says, no, you're going to be persecuted. They're reeling. The way you felt on September 12th is the way the disciples feel as we head into Mark chapter nine. So let's all stand together. Mark chapter nine, beginning in verse one. Then Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death and death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone he was transfigured in front of them and his clothes became dazzling extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them elijah appeared to them with moses and they were talking with jesus peter said to jesus rabbi it is good for us to be here let's set up 3 shelters one for you one for moses and one for elijah because he didn't know what to say since he since they were terrified A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. As we consider our king, Jesus, today, my prayer is that he will give us clarity about the challenges that we face in this world, and he will help us to put everything in its proper perspective. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for each and every one of my friends that have gathered here today. Lord, thank you so much for 16 years of Christ Church in Winchester. Thank you for the vision that you gave Dave and his launch team. And Lord, everything that you've done in these last 16 years to bless this community and bless the people of this community to bring people closer to Jesus. Praise you, Lord, that you've worked. And we just pray that you'll continue to work, Lord. Today in this space, we have dedicated it to you. This is a gem, but we declare that this is holy ground. This is anointed for your eternal purposes. Holy Spirit come and fill this place. May your words be heard today. Father, I pray that you'll use me. I'm a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I'm not that smart. These people don't need anything from me. God, they need something from you. Lord, we are living in difficult times and it seems like it's just getting crazier and it's just getting harder. Lord, we need the words of life today. So please, Holy Spirit, come and speak. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Give us eyes to see. Give us a heart that receives your word, Lord. May we be changed. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer, something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, the news the disciples are processing that Jesus is going to be killed, that they're going to be persecuted, this is totally disorienting. It's, it's totally disappointing, and it's, it's disturbing. Jesus speaks into their confusion with, uh, and their despair with a promise and a guarantee Mark chapter nine, verse one, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, this is a promise. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. So here's the promise Jesus gives his disciples who are reeling. It's a September 12th type of feeling. They don't know what to make of what's going on in the world. They're still trying to get their bearings. Their world has been shaken and Jesus gives them a promise. And here's the promise. The kingdom will come in power. That's the promise. Don't let the persecution perplex you, Jesus says. Don't let the cross confuse you, Jesus says. Don't let the grave get to you, Jesus says. The kingdom of God will come in power. I'm promising that. And here's the guarantee. Some of you will see it in this life. Before you die in some unmistakable way, Jesus says to the disciples whose world is rocked, he's saying, I will make it clear to you that the kingdom of God has come. Now, this gives some believers doubts. It gives some unbelievers ammunition because they see this and they say, well, you know, this means that Jesus was mistaken. Because whenever we think of the kingdom of God, we think of uh, the second coming of Christ. We think of the millennial reign of Christ. We think that you know, every, all the enemies are eradicated. That's what we think of when we think of the kingdom of God coming. And so it can be confusing when we, we have this expectation of who God is and how God's going to operate, and Jesus says, no, before you even die, he says to his disciples, you will see the kingdom of God come. This is what we're learning as we're studying the gospel of Mark. The blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the, uh, the dead raising, the kingdom of God is not simply some physical place that comes in the future. The kingdom of God is everywhere that Jesus is. And so the place where Jesus rules and reigns, that is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying to his friends on this day, I know it's disorienting. I know it's disturbing, the news that you've received. I know you're having a hard time processing all this, but understand the plan and purpose of God still stands. I'm still moving. I'm still working. The kingdom is advancing even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it. And it'll be evident soon enough. Verse two, after six days, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record this event. All of them connect the transfiguration with what happened six days previous to it. All of them connect this event that happens on Mount Hermon. They connect it to the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. You remember the conversation where Jesus, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, yes, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the father in heaven has told you this. This is the right thing. On this truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus says, that's the right answer. But listen to me. You think that I'm going to be the king of kings right now and I'm going to eradicate all your enemies. That's not how this plan is playing out. They are going to kill me. That's part of God's plan. And not only will they kill me, they're going to come after you. And so this this transfiguration is connected to this conversation that totally rocked their world. After six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. Peter is the leader of the earliest church. James is the first martyr, in the Christian faith, the first person to die for Jesus's name. And John is, Jesus is, John says of himself, the one that Jesus loves. So that's what he says of himself. These are the people closest to Jesus. These are very important figures in the earliest church. Jesus wants them to see what's about to happen on Mount Hermon. He handpicks them and leads them up the mountain. Verse two says that Jesus was transfigured in front of them. The word transfigured in the Greek is the same word that we get our word metamorphosis. You know, when a a cocoon turns into a butterfly, the metamorphosis is the same word. Jesus goes from the appearance of a man into the appearance of something totally otherworldly, something that these disciples had never seen before. Verse three, his clothes became dazzling, extremely white as no launderer on earth could have whitened them. Luke adds the detail, same story, different perspective. Luke adds the detail that Jesus' face became like the brightest sun. The word for dazzling here in the Greek is the word of like a blinding light. You know, when you're driving down the interstate and it's a sunny day and your kids are playing with something glittery and the sun hits it in just the right way, bounces into your rearview mirror and you almost wreck and then you yell at your kids. Anybody else? Yes. So, same word. It's a blinding light blinding light Peter James and John all good Jewish boys they know their Old Testament all throughout the Old Testament every time you see a bright light in the Old Testament it's always associated with God Almighty so what Jesus is doing here in the the most physical the most obvious way that he can possibly that he ever possibly manifests himself proves himself shows himself to his disciples in this moment he is showing them i am god in the flesh he is unveiling his true nature jesus doesn't become god don't misinterpret this he doesn't become a blinding light jesus has always been god jesus has always been the light but up until this point he has veiled himself up until this point, he has hidden his glory underneath his skin and his bones. But on Mount Hermon, he pulls back the curtain so that his disciples can see him in his full glory. This is a huge moment for the disciples. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He's the radiance of God's glory. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter six, verse 16. He speaking of Jesus alone is immortal who lives in an unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Jesus wants his disciples to see his immutable and unapproachable glory. It's a big deal for them. They got to see it because they're about to step into a season that hardly nothing can prepare you for. They're about to face some challenges that are so overwhelming and so big, unless they are supernaturally empowered, they will fail. And so Jesus pulls back the curtain so that they can see him in his full glory because they need this truth to build the rest of their life on john chapter 1 verse 14 remember john goes on to be the longest living disciple the last several years of his life he lives in exile in isolation, in, in on an island where he he writes the book of revelation so john needs he needs to see this from jesus he needs to know this about jesus so he can endure all of the difficulties that he's going to endure how many of you hate to be alone Can't stand to be alone with yourself. John was there for years and years. And in this very difficult situation, he writes one of the most important pieces of the Bible that we have. But look what John says. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16, Peter goes on to be crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus Christ. Look what Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They had to see it. They had to see Jesus like this in order to endure the difficulty that was ahead Jesus took them on the mountain. He didn't have to do that. You understand that Jesus often went to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus can go and pray by himself. He handpicked these men because he wanted them to see what was going to happen on Mount Hermon. He wanted them to see his glory. Verse 4, Elijah appeared to them with Moses. They were talking with Jesus. What we see here is a ministry to Jesus. Elijah and Moses appear to Jesus to reaffirm the mission that Jesus is on and the direction that he is journeying from here on out in the gospel, of Mark, Jesus makes his way to the cross. Every step, every moment, every decision, every word is leading him to the cross. Elijah and Moses at the beginning of this journey where he's now walking to the cross, Elijah and Moses come along and they reassure Jesus you're on the right track. Luke chapter nine verse thirty-one, same story, parallel passage. Who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure. Moses and Elijah appearing in glory were speaking of his departure. Was he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem? I want you to think for a second. Isn't it comforting that even Jesus needed to be reassured? How many times in your life have you questioned, "Am I on the right path?" Because I'm doing all the right things and it feels like all the wrong things are happening. I'm being faithful to what you called me to, Lord, but it doesn't seem like this is working out. Even Jesus, yes, he was God, but he veiled himself in humanity. He was tempted in the same way all of us were tempted. He can relate to sometimes needing to be reassured. Don't beat yourself up. It's part of the human experience. What was the reassurance here? Speaking of his not, it doesn't say of his death. It says of his departure from this world to the next, from this plane to a higher plane of existence, which he was about to not endure. It says that he was about to accomplish, not survive, accomplished, accomplished because this was a preordained plan. All of this walking to the cross was part of Jesus's part of God's plan from before the time before time began. The conclusion is not defeat and shame. The conclusion is victory and glory. So this is an accomplishment. It's not a tragedy. The mountaintop experience was a ministry of Jesus. It was also a ministry to the disciples. The appearance of Moses and Elijah communicated very two very important things to the disciples that we need to be reminded of. Number one, proof that there is an afterlife. Both these men, Elijah and Moses, at this point were as old as dirt. They were older than Wayne, who just turned 40. They were older than Robert. Wherever Robert turned to, he just turned 40. How many else people are turning 40 this year? Don't be. There you go. 39 and holding older than all of us 40 year olds Moses at this point in history 1400 years old Elijah 900 years old here they are standing with Jesus talking to Jesus still alive Peter saw with his own eyes that his own eyes that life continues even when the earthly tent fades away that knowledge empowers a person to hold less tightly to the things of this earth listen to what peter says second peter chapter 1 verse 13 here's his mindset i think it is right as long as i am in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder since i know that i will soon lay aside my tent as our lord jesus christ has indeed made it clear to me Listen, friends, there is more to life than the 80, 90, 100 years you get on this planet. There's more to life. There's more to life than Jesus says, than the abundance of possessions. There's more to life than vaccine mandates and passports. There's more to life than what's happening on your social media. There's more to life than what's happening in Washington, D.C., or happening in the boardroom of the corporation that you work for, or happening in your home, or happening in your body, or happening in your finances. There is more to life than just the physical things that we can see on this planet, just the things that we experience in the 70, 80, 90 years that we live here. You need to grab a hold of that if you're going to live out God's destiny for your life. Have an eternal mindset. The other thing that their appearance communicated to the disciples is that Jesus makes a way into the promised land. Remember God told Moses to lead his people into the promised land. They're on this journey. Things are going fairly well for Moses. But then he got a little bit ahead of himself. He got a little bit arrogant. You remember this story. He took matters into his own hands and he was punished. God said, Because you've made this arrogant decision, I'm not going to allow you to go in the promised land with your people. And so Moses died on Mount Nebo on the edge of the promised land. He never stepped foot into the promised land, but here we are 1,400 years later, Mount Hermon in the heart of the promised land, and now Jesus has given Moses occasion for the very first time in his existence to finally step foot onto the promised land. What Jesus did for Moses, now the disciples in their mind, they start thinking what Jesus did for Moses, he can do for us the place that our heart longs for, the place flowing with milk and honey, the, the place that's marked by peace, Jesus can get us to that place. Here's an encouragement for you today. Death does not mark the end of God's plan and purpose for his people. Moses's mission wasn't over when he died on Mount Nebo. Elijah's mission wasn't over when God took him up into heaven. God's plan for your life doesn't die at the funeral home either. You will spend eternity giving glory to God in one form or fashion. You will spend eternity giving glory to God by praising his name forever and ever in the heavenly kingdom or by displaying his justice forever and ever in eternal torment. Either way, you will give glory to God. Our purpose is not limited to 70, 80, 90 years on this planet. It's eternal. So this is some big stuff. Huge. Here on Mount Hermon, Jesus is communicating to his disciples. They see an object lesson of some of the most important lessons that they they can possibly have. They need this knowledge in order to navigate the difficulty ahead of them. And how did the disciples respond? Verse five, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three other translations use the word tabernacle or tent, three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. He was terrified. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, all in glorified bodies standing there, they're meeting about the most important event in history. And what does Peter say as a witness to this? Hey, let's have a camp out. That's what he says. I got my Coleman tent here. I'll fire up the grill. We'll have some s'mores. Peter's terrified. He's just seen what may appear to him to be a ghost. That's unsettling. He's scared of what Jesus says awaits his Lord. He doesn't want to see Jesus die. And now Jesus is also saying, you're going to experience some hardships because of me. That's scary. And so Peter says to Jesus what most of you would say. Jesus, isn't this a good thing? Here we are on the mountain, this beautiful light. I'm seeing what no other human has seen and lived to tell about. Let's skip the cross. Let's skip the torture. Let's skip the persecution. Let's just hang out with Moses and Elijah up here on this mountain forever. You ever done that? You don't want to go to work on Monday because it's just it's stress, so stressful right now. You got treatment coming up for the diagnosis that you never wanted to hear. You got treatment. You don't really want to do that, though, because you know it's going to hurt. You got to have a difficult conversation. There's no way around it. You're going to have to confront this person. You're going to have to call them out on this situation, but you don't want to do it. And so instead, you turn the fan up. You pull the covers up over your head and you go back to sleep. Haven't we all done that? Verse 7, a cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. The cloud, all throughout the scriptures, it represents God the Father. That word overshadowing there, it's only used like three times in the whole Bible. One of those times is when uh, the Lord appeared to Mary and he overshadowed her and she became pregnant with Jesus. You remember that? The message is very simple and direct. Peter, James, and John, you're my witnesses, you're my ambassador, you're my banner bearers, the men who will announce the good news of the kingdom of God to the nations. God says to them, Jesus Christ is my beloved son, listen to him. The one message that God the Father wanted to communicate to these very important men, these men who passed the gospel all the way down to us, he says to them, Jesus Christ is my beloved son, listen to him. You're accustomed to following the law of Moses, and that's good. You've heeded the warnings of the prophet like Elijah, and that's good. But now learn to read the law, learn to read the prophets, learn to read the signs of the time, learn to navigate your emotions, not by anything, but Jesus Christ, my beloved son, make him the filter through which you look at this world that we're living in. He is the way. He is the truth. No one comes to the Father, the Bible says, except through him. No one can enter the promised land, not even Moses, except through Christ. No one can approach the glorious light, the holy mountain, except through Jesus Christ. Listen, friends. Now more than ever before, we need to be desperate to see Jesus clearly. Now more than ever before, we need to turn our ears not into what the news says, not into what social media says, not in what your friends say, not in what your family says, in what Jesus Christ says. Listen to him. Trust in him. Submit to him. That's the only way that we're going to navigate this darkness. Verse 8, suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone With them, except Jesus. One of the craziest events that's ever happened in human history, and it's over just like that. One of the, when you talk about mountaintop experiences, how many of you have had a mountaintop spiritual experience? You talk about mountaintop experiences. It was named for this event. And it's over. Just as quick as it came, Just as sudden as it came, it left. We had a prayer and praise service a couple Wednesdays ago. We try and do that the beginning of every month. We want to start off with prayer. Come to the next one. This last one was incredible. The Holy Spirit was so evidently there. And we prayed and we were just, you just feel the Lord was just in that place. And we prayed and we dismissed people and nobody got up. Nobody wanted to leave. It was just like, let's just stay here. We finally had to because the kids were like hanging off these lights in here in the gym. We finally had to get up and leave. We've all had those moments, haven't we? You know, you just feel so close to God. You feel so connected to God. You you feel so strong. You feel so loved. And then it's Monday again. And you got to go to work. Or you got, you got to leave and go and clean up your messy house and feed your ornery kids. And life just keeps on going. You want to stay on the mountaintop. You want to stay there in the presence of the Lord. But there's still life to do. A couple of takeaways. Number one, boldly face the apocalypse. When we think of the word apocalypse, we think of the end of the world and tribulation and a great war. That's what we think of. The word is actually a word that means unveiling. Unveiling. As Jesus unveiled his true glory. That's what an apocalypse is. It's an unveiling. The next time that life gives you a gut punch, the next time that there's a September 11th type of event in your life, the next time that you get news that totally shakes your world, instead of trying to camp out in a safe place, why don't you open your eyes and look for all the ways the Lord is more clearly trying to reveal himself to you. Look past the looming cross Look past the inevitable and unavoidable suffering. Look through the overwhelming challenge. Look beyond what is frightening. Look beyond what is frustrating. Look beyond what can't, you feel like can't be changed. Look beyond all that and see the light of Christ. See his faithfulness. See his compassion. See his anointing on your life. Through every apocalypse, the Lord is meeting you. He's calling you by name. He's leading you up a holy mountain because he wants you to see more clearly his glory and his goodness. Open your eyes. We get so focused on our pain. We get so focused on our problems. We get so focused on what is frustrating us and we forget to look for Jesus. If you do so, in the, midst, in the midst of that thing that feels like it's the end of the world, if you'll do so, it will empower you to overcome. First and Second Peter, written by Peter, who was one of the men on the mountain, he writes a letter to a church in Rome. The church in Rome is experiencing persecution, which I pray we never have to experience. These, these men and women of faith, these Christians that are doing everything right, are being dragged out of their homes into the Colosseum to be eaten alive by wild animals. They're dragged out of their homes and they're doused with oil and they're set ablaze to become a human torch. And so Peter writes to these Christians who are experiencing something that none of us would ever want to experience. And and Peter says, don't give up the faith, persevere, keep doing the right things, keep worshiping Jesus. And and they say of Peter, obviously, they're going to ask the question, how can we do that? Look at the basis for Peter's perseverance. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from heaven, from him, from the magic, majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. In One of Peter's hardest moments, Jesus shows him his glory. The same can be true of you. If you open your eyes and you'll see it, the Lord will show you his goodness. He will show you his compassion. He will show you your strength. And he will get you through the difficulty. He will get you through the darkness. Seeing the transfigured Christ transformed Peter. Don't let the diagnosis deceive you. Don't let the fake news media machine misinform you. Don't let what happens in the funeral have the final say. I know it may appear hopeless. I know you may feel helpless. What feels like the apocalypse, listen, my friends, it is not the end. It's an unveiling. So face that apocalypse, not with fear, but with faith. Believe that God is with you. Believe that God is for you. Believe God's doing something, even in the midst of this. Have the courage to walk down the mountain. Have the courage to face your fears. Have the courage to carry your cross. I know it's terrifying, but there's more to this life. There's more to this situation. There's more to this difficulty than you can see. In the midst of your disappointment, God is leading you up a holy mountain. In the midst of your trial, God is ready to reveal his glory to you in unexpected ways. Open your eyes to it. Allow him to transfigure your situation. That's who God is. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And he takes things and he turns them around. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. He turns mourning into dancing. The Bible says he turns ashes into beauty. The Bible says that the cross was a curse, but now it has become a crown and a blessing. The tomb is no longer a place where people die. For us that believe it's a womb and we are reborn through it. Death turns into life with Jesus. And so look closely and you'll see the kingdom of God is coming in power. You will taste the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will. Your light and momentary troubles, Paul says, are achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. So don't camp out on the mountain. Don't pull the covers up over your head. Get up out of the bed and face the challenges of each day with courage. In a world full of people who sit quietly while the terrorist hijacked the plane. Why don't you be a Todd Beamer who looks at the situation and understands I'm going to die either way. I might as well go down swinging, so let's roll. Be one of them. In a world full of people who are running away from the frame, flames, be One of those duty bound firemen, police officers, first responders who were running into a collapsing building. Don't shrink back in the face of death because the Bible says, in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, this corruptible body will be clothed with incorruptibility. This mortal body will be swallowed up by an immortal body. Death has been swallowed up in victory, Paul says. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Thanks be to God. He has given us the victory. It was already assured on Mount Hermon. Jesus pulls back his glory. He says, I am God. I cannot be killed. I cannot be defeated. It's still true today. Therefore, my brothers, Paul says, be steadfast and always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You are going to face some challenges. You are going to face some difficulties. You are going to have to fight some demons in this world. Face every apocalypse with courage. Here's the other thing from this passage that's encouraged me. Reflect his glory. There are very few who have seen the glory of the Lord and lived to tell about it. It's too much for flesh and blood to handle. One person was Moses. You remember on Mount Sinai, Moses asked the Lord, can I see, can I see your glory? Can I see you? And God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes by. He says, you can see just the backside. It's all you can see. Moses spent some time with God on this holy mountain and he comes down from the holy mountain. You remember how Moses came down from the holy mountain? You remember this story? Exodus chapter 24, verse 39. Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the Ten Commandments. He had spent time with the Lord. He had seen the glory of the Lord. Look how it it changed him. His face was shining brightly because the Lord had been speaking to him. But Moses did not know at first that his face was shining. When you come down off the mountaintop, when you've spent time with the Lord, when he's walked you through the fire, when you have seen his glory and his goodness, it will change you. You will be transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That's the same word that's used in Mark. Metamorphosis. Transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In the same way, jesus was transfigured on the mountain time with him will transfigure you don't be conformed to the pattern of this world what the bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind in christ you are a new creation the old is gone the new has come can anybody tell that you've spent time with the lord can anybody see the glory of the lord shining off of you if not You're missing something. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul says that our presence will shine with the glory of the Lord. And this is what so many Christians think about that. Yes and amen. Because the thought of them looking like Jesus, the way they frame that, they think that means being culturally palatable, being nice, don't offend anyone. Don't hurt anyone's feelings. Just smile and be a doormat and feed hungry people. And this is, this is the way so many Christians have framed our mission in this world. Let's just be extra nice to everybody. Let's not say anything that's going to hurt anybody's feelings. Let's just feed some people. And then all the sinners, all the godless people, all the demon worshipers are just going to come to church and we're going to kind them into the kingdom of God. We're going to be kindness to them into the kingdom of God. They're going to repent. And then they're going to worship Jesus because we were absolutely so nice to them. Then, you know, they'll have no choice. But the truth is when you reflect the glory of the Lord, people won't like it. What did they do to Moses when he came off the mountain? You remember what they did? They said, Moses, cover your face. They didn't want to see the glory of the Lord. What did they do to Peter who says, I'm trying to be a mirror that reflects. Peter was on the mountain. Peter saw Jesus. Peter, if anybody can do an accurate reflection of who Jesus is, it's Peter, right? What did they do to Peter? They nailed him to a tree. What did they do to the brightest light that has ever shone? What did they do to the water walker? What did they do to this demon slayer? What did they do to the one who fed 5,000? What did they do to him? They nailed him to a tree. If they did that to Jesus, the Savior of the world and the Son of God, what do you think they will do to you? They will hate you for having a good marriage, being faithful to your spouse. They will hate you that you refuse to participate in the pornographic culture that we're living in. They will hate you for that. They will hate you for raising respectful, hardworking kids. They will hate you when you pull your kids out of public school because you see what's happening and you say, you know what, I'm going to homeschool my kids. They're going to hate you for that. They'll hate you for having peace when you should be stressed out. They'll hate you for having joy when you should be crying at the funeral home. They'll hate you for standing up for what is true, for not compromising on essential beliefs. They'll hate you for that. The godless world wants you to fail the goodness and the glory of God that's shining through you. They want you to cover it up. The light that is in you offends the darkness that's in them. Friends, don't veil the glory of the Lord. Don't. Reflect his glory. September 11th, it changed us. As a nation, it brought us together have, have we ever felt more together than we did the weeks following that? It brought us to our knees. All of a sudden, people started thinking about Jesus. All of a sudden, people started reading the Bibles. All of a sudden, people started praying. All of a sudden, people started going to church. But whatever we had then, we've lost as a nation and then some, right? Right? As a nation, we now partner with terrorists and we hate each other. It's the opposite. Why? We forgot. We forgot. We forgot what we were built on. We forgot who to run to. We forgot who the enemy was. May we not forget. Don't forget who the terrorist in this world is he's an accuser he's an a lot he's a liar he's a thief he's a murderer satan himself hate what is evil and cling to what is good don't forget how jesus christ ran into harm's way to save you he pulled you out of the wreckage be changed by that May we be transformed by each apocalypse into the image of Christ. May people see on our faces that we have been with the Lord. When we grieve, may we grieve with hope. May we not be given a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. May we consider it pure joy when we have trials and many can't. May we have assurance of what we believe. May we resist the devil and flee from temptation. May we listen to, follow, and reflect the glory of Jesus everywhere we go. May we be the light of the world and may the world be changed because of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For these people, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to appear to us in such a way that we could see you for who you really are. May we not take that for granted, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we are reminded today of our calling. We're reminded today of every apocalypse every time that we thought the world was ending in our life and you got us through it remind us how faithful you are remind us how loving you are remind us of how good you are remind us how powerful you are and help us to trust you once again help us to love you with all of our heart help us to be so committed to you lord that we can't help but to shine your glory and your goodness in this dark world in jesus name amen If there's anybody that needs prayer here today, I know there's all sorts of challenges and difficulties. We're here to pray with you. We would love, we'd be honored to do that. If there's anybody here that feels far from Christ and you'd like to know more about following Jesus, please come and talk to me. I would love, I'd be honored to talk to you about that. As we come, this is an opportunity just to be reminded, to lean into, to run to Jesus. You can do that by prayer. We have communion elements either side of the stage up here in the back. As we sing, come.